Hi everyone, welcome back to uh, another episode of Lord Beards, another wonderful Sunday, and we have a really, really awesome guest this week, I'm super excited, we've got Lindsay Law with us, uh, which is super great, I'm really, really excited for this, I genuinely was, I was so scared of potentially oversleeping, I had, uh, I think an alarm <laughs> set for every five minutes from like 7am to 9am this morning just to be safe, but uh uh, for anyone that may not be familiar with you and your work, Lindsay, would you go ahead and kind of introduce us, tell us who you are, what you've done, all that kind of stuff? Yeah, absolutely. So uh, the first thing to say is that I've been role-playing in the Wifrup world since, well, since the first edition of Wifrup and, and in, in various iterations of the war game and, and side games like Blood Bowl. I've had quite a few Blood Bowl teams. So I've been kind of immersed in this world since I was altogether um, too young. Uh, I first uh, started officially writing for Warhammer in the fourth edition, so about five years ago now, where I did um, wrote, and we'll maybe talk about the careers later. I wrote the career section part of it, did a like was overall responsible for the whole thing, the second pass on it. And I did the pre-edit for the core book, and then editing and proofreading. And on on Wifrit Fourth Edition, did my job was the massive errata list that was compiled after the Alpha Edition <laughs> from all of the community. It was amazing. A big shout out to those people on Discord who bombarded me with literally thousands of lines of issues that we had to fix in that book because it had gone to print so quickly, um, and now or gone to PDF so quickly, and. But before that, because Andy Law and I are married, that's a big important thing you need to know mm. about me. Um, so when he started working on Wifrup Second Edition, I was really—I've always been in the background. So we were playing a campaign through that whole time. So I was talking about the work he was doing. I, for for instance, I would often be doing research in the background. So for um, Shades of Empire, there's an article in there about the Navy, and I did all the real-world research into the naval period that we were looking at and translated that for him and summarized a whole load of books and articles to give to him to be the the research material oh, and then did awesome. the same yeah yeah did the same for lots of things for him and he would often pass things by me not not, not official proofreading i wasn't paid to do it but it was really like what do you think of this does this fit in the threnody for hope from tome of salvation is one that always like when he told me that one first i was just well i'm in love with andy anyway but i fall in <laughs> love with him like every week again in role playing let's be clear about this um and and yeah, there was, over time, I think the, the biggest difference that I've probably, my experience than other people, is I've also been, this sounds really arrogant, but Andy told me to say it, like, uh, not amused, but but because <laughs> we play together, there are so many of my characters that I've originated or we've worked on the background together that sit there, and I was looking through them, because I was like, oh, there's probably one or two, but I went and did a little bit of research for the stream, and in the core forehead book, there's like Theodora an hour who's in the careers a quote a quote from her yeah uh -huh. um sylvester judsonbach was a brother of one of my characters and ostermarker noble she became a bright wizard brigitte van der hugenband who people you know may know as the abbess general of the dark maiden monastery was originally my character long before <laughs> that avenue of her career panned out and of course an erwin grunfeld is another one from tome of salvation and and the biggest one who i played for the longest was sigrid cooler who is in tome of salvation as the troublesome young Nordlander noble girl <laughs> who's got herself pregnant by Heinrich Todbringer and and what I love most about all of those characters is every single one of those was randomly rolled 
you know, I didn't roll and I didn't decide yeah, to play which, a Nordlander noble. It was like pure the best way random. it could happen. Man, you've been ghostwriting yeah. for Andy all these years. <laughs> not ghostwriting. No, no, absolutely not. He is the he was the writer. I was just the creative I don't know. The creative wall that he would bounce things against. That's so awesome. I mean, I think that's the best possible way for those characters to have come about. Like, you know, something I think yeah. we've seen a lot like through like the critical role series is how much people are loving these universes that are built off of actual role play or actual yeah. people's experiences because then it's not just someone sitting in a room like being like uh where's my random character generator so i can just fill in this yeah. random slot like it adds those characters are gonna be so much more dynamic because there's an actual history behind them yeah. which yeah. is so awesome totally, that's great yeah yeah in fourth ed if you look in the career section in fourth ed every single one of those none of those are random name generators none of those are random characters and if they were created for the purpose of that but they were created for instance to be if it was a soldier career it was created as a foot soldier in a regiment we already knew about in a regiment that i'd met the colonel in our game or andy had played you know colonel Seavers as, as a really good example and 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 then the the final part so i haven't you know when andy resigned from cubicle seven i i didn't do any work on on the game after that either but now we're we're playing lawhammer and we're really back into it and and I promise you that things that look random, when Andy's behind that screen going, yeah, okay, you've got to meet a, a cabbie or you've got to meet a servant girl and it feels yeah. like he's just made them up on the spot. You know that in six months' time, we'll find out that that servant girl was actually in the employ of one of the big bads. And, yeah. and, you know, one of the, or not even the big bads because like there aren't even big bads. There are just people doing politics. Yeah, I, I, I think I've been playing a game where myself, where I'm like, I bet that one's the changeling. No, no, it's that one yeah, that's yeah, the changeling yeah, 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 <laughs> the whole time. Yeah. Um, yes, which, by the way, for anyone watching, if you haven't been checking out Lawhammer as far as like the just the channel goes and the interviews they do, you are super dumb. Uh, you need to go absolutely <laughs> check that out. We'll have links and stuff for all that down below. Um, but also the um, the Enemy Within campaign they're playing, uh, where Lindsay of, is, of course, playing Alamineweth, is absolutely incredible. Um, I've already, I've been binging it. I still haven't caught up yet because the, the solo episodes, there's quite a few of them. I'm halfway done with those. I just finished Lewitpold's and his little bonus episode. And it is, it is fantastic. Um, absolutely incredible, but yeah, so, yeah. enough on that. Let's move on into, uh, more of your goodies. Uh, so, yeah, so let, maybe we'll talk about Alan Menowith and, and yeah. where... Yeah, yeah, so I love elves. I've always loved elves. When I was six, I think I played my first role-playing game. It was Redbox D&D, which somewhat dates me. Um, and, and I played an elf called Angel. Nice. A moment of great pride in the nice. naming of that elf. Yeah, six or seven, maybe, I think I was. And I've got it. I know that for a fact because I've got it in my primary school. Um, what did you do at the weekend, Jotter? And it says, I went to X's house, I won't name and shame him, um, and played an elf called Angel this weekend. And, and so I've always loved elves, but I've never actually played. Well, I did play, like, when I was a teenager, I maybe played an elf here and there. But in, like, proper grown-up Wifrup, I'd never played an elf. And we really wanted for Lawhammer for there to be an elf in the party. So Andy and I have been planning for the past couple of years what kind of elf that would be to allow us to explore some of the things that are not that explored about the different kiths and kins of elves and, and also the different ages of elves in Warhammers and in Warhammer, the ones that came before the Sundering 
and what they mm. remember about what the elves used to be, the ones that came after and so have no concept of what they've lost and how small they are. And also we wanted to really challenge the, the, the notion of the war game that the high elves are the good guys and maybe the wood elves are a bit and the you know the druki the dark elves are the yeah, bad guys we uh, wanted very to black and white spectrum yeah yeah yeah, yeah. And, and we wanted to think about and so so when we picked the aeonir it was really because in our interpretation and i will caveat a lot of this a lot of what i say is our interpretation <laughs> yeah, of, yeah, of war, that world typical right? warhammer yeah <laughs> there's yeah no, my hammer your hammer there's yeah. no so this is how we play it and we and and in our iteration the aeonir are the closest to what the elves were before they split apart. So mm. while the dark elves, you know, Malekith remembers, but his dark elves, they really worship, you know, the the one side of the bifurcated mask of Azurian. They represent one half of the pantheon. And then the high elves, and you know, they're energetic and they're passionate and they move and they move. Whereas, but they're political. And the high elves represent maybe the other side of the bifurcation. They're they're more languid and indolent, and but they're also political. And then you've mm. got the the Azrai, who really have gone down a different route and have taken on the forest. You know, they didn't used to live in the forest before. They, yeah, and they they're, they're so it to bound the to it. Yeah, they're but they're bound to it now. And and what we wanted was for the Aenir to have their own particular arrogance, as all elves do, and say, well, we were the ones that stayed true. We, we worship the pantheon. We see what the um, dark elves have done wrong. We see what the high elves have done wrong, and we're gonna. You know, we're going to forge our path before, in the way that we could have done before Anarion drew the Cursed Blade and, mm. and doomed the lines of the elves to sunder. So that's where which she is. is but... yeah, which is super exciting. Like, yeah, that's that's yeah. a really interesting path to go. Because, I mean, that's kind of a thread that's a little touched on um, back in, like, the, the, the battle books as far as, like, they all think they're correct. But um, I want to say uh, it was... Uh, I don't remember if it was 8th edition or an earlier edition that really kind of tossed out the really sinister idea that, of course, when Chaos showed up and, like, they all had to face off against Chaos, that Chaos suddenly changed each of the races just a little bit, but yeah. changed something about them that made them kind of doomed in the long run, uh, which was, uh, but uh, where it's like the elves became a little more arrogant and a little more conceited the dwarves became a little more stubborn than they naturally were and uh, the lizardmen became like a little more sluggish and all this stuff um but like and then the but the elves then compound it with the whole sort of cane business um yeah yeah so i think yeah, it's really yeah. exciting to draw uh for an elf elves that are really trying to reach back you know yeah. um to pre-phoenix king pre-cane pre-all yeah. that stuff yeah. And of course, no spoilers for you, Alamena Wife is only something like 50-something. So what relevance is that to her? You'll need to watch her individual episode to find out that. Yes. Uh, yeah, yeah. I, she's already dropped a couple things so far that have it, been like, mm, okay, she's not yeah, being yeah. honest about a couple things. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. As you would not expect one of the politically in here to be honest about anything. Yeah, yeah, an elf, an elf yeah. being, even if an elf is being honest, what they're telling you is probably like not like the way human a human would say honest yeah. yeah and what i like about the elves is that you're absolutely right you know the the hordes of chaos came and 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 did did chaos change the elves or did their own pride and hubris and you know in arian it should have been enough for him to walk through the flame but he had to draw that blade and 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 with elves you know it's all about choice you know their souls are so bright and so attractive to demons but if they fall 
it's, it's because they choose to fall. Yeah. And so did chaos change them or did chaos trick them into changing themselves? Whereas with humans, chaos does change them. They're almost powerless in the face of chaos. They can mutate, they can, you know, they, they will be changed by chaos. But, mm. but with the elves, chaos had to play a cleverer, longer yeah. political game to get them to choose it themselves. Yeah, I think it's excellent you bring that up because like something we've been discussing a lot kind of in our communities with the Total War news and stuff is that uh, Takala has been coming up a lot uh, with Slash stuff and she's such a perfect example of chaos didn't have any hold over her at all. Like it, Samael, the demon prince, had to push her um, mm -hmm. through a really nasty ploy of getting her family to turn against her and everything um, to convince her to fall. Like he, there was nothing he could do in like a typical human, you know, if it had been a human story, it would have been about, you know, them driving the human crazy or just flat out mutating them against their will. But no, with Takala, it's a story about her being pushed to the point that she is so betrayed, so angry, so like um, desiring for power of her own. She embraces Slanesh. Mm -hmm. um, and even then it takes forever for her to become like really mutated. Uh, but that's such a, it's such an interesting dynamic when elves do fall because they have such a unique relationship with it. Like even the chaos dwarfs, kind of were forced into it um they just you know weren't willing to die even though regular doors were like yeah, you should have yeah. you should have <laughs> yeah you should have died uh, yeah. you should have died but uh, i kind of want to walk back a little bit to uh kind of your passion for elves as far as what what would you say really like draws you to the elves especially when we're looking at it through a warhammer lens what is it about the warhammer elves that really kind of reaches out to you and grabs you as far as makes them um like a compelling race or uh, something that's like really worth looking into and celebrating. Mm -hmm. Part of the reason for me goes back to another game that we played. Um, and so we played Vampire the Masquerade for like through Dark Ages all the way through to the present day. So I played a character who was by the end of it, like 800 or 900 years old. And uh, through the course of like mm. a decade span of role playing. And that is really rewarding and really interesting i studied psychology so that's part of the appeal the appeal for me for elves is that all too often in fantasy elves are just like pointy-eared long-lived humans mm. um, but i really wanted to explore not just the, through vampire we explored well what what happens to you when you actually can live forever what happens to your relationships what happens to what those relationships mean and the way you'll interact with each other and the way you'll log favors and, and the mm. things that that as humans you know we've got a built-in shelf life we know it's finite and so it informs our drives and our passions and the way we burn like fire and and go for the things we want when there's not a definite end in sight how does that change you psychologically? And for me, that's fascinating to explore and a fascinating challenge as a, you know, like primarily my connection with Warframe is through the roleplay game. Yeah, I've done other aspects of, of Warhammer, but for me, it's, it's a thing that I do and challenge myself to portray those characters and think about it. So, so that for me is what it is, is that they are so fundamentally different to humans but often they're just treated as different because they're taller and more slender and more agile and elf bullshit as the yeah, other guys yeah, in my elf bullshit, yeah. called elf, just the elf <laughs> bullshit. But actually, what does that mean? Yeah. And I, I, I think that's such an interesting thing to say too, because um, that is often like my big criticism as well, when it comes to a lot of elves um, or dwarves or any other race is that it's like, it's human with a little, 
you know, like a little slider has been tweaked, like usually a physical slider, not a, not even an emotional one. Uh, but the elves of, um, uh, Warhammer have such a, they're so alien, like, uh, when they're, when they're written well. Um, and, uh, I love that kind of exploration of, you know, probably one of the biggest tropes that like really like eats at me is whenever someone brings up immortality or has an immortal character and they're just boring. Like, or they're yeah. like, oh, immortality is like, it's only a curse and horrible. And it's like, well, there's a lot of really interesting ways that could be explored. Like, um, yeah, they, cause they wouldn't be like us, you know, they, yeah. they'd probably have a very different relationship with like death and all these other different things. Um, so I, I love that so much. And I think, I think really, um, kind of, especially from what you're saying that, uh, at least in my opinion, I really do think the role play is the best way to explore as far as like looking from lore. Um, like there, you know, obviously, especially when the battle game, I think it does help, especially when looking from like a 10,000 year timeline of kind of keeping things more broad and generalist. Um, but like, um, probably one of the most popular things, cause the community loves them so much are like Q and a series. And a lot of the questions people ask are these very nitty gritty things that like, you know, I'm <laughs> with all the research I have at my disposal, it's kind of a lot of like bullshitting or like trying to read between lines of and um the role play stuff the stuff that you do especially helps fill in those gaps which is so important and gives people those like oh i love that and i want to do this or i want to do this or um explore in their own ways which i think is so critical um so now bouncing back to uh, another thing you said uh, as far as exploring like kiss and kin bands um like that's that's something that what Elf fans should be familiar with um because it it's a concept i that i can't remember what edition it was introduced but um you know it's very very big for what else um the azray though have a very different version than the version you ended up exploring where for the mm -hmm. azray it was like it was kind of more of what you were born into as far as yeah, like you were yeah. born into a bit of a tribe and they had a very particular way of working and it's like okay we're this kith band so we use these weapons we operate in this way so we get these bonuses on tabletop you know it's a very <laughs> it's almost kind of a rigid structure um but i i'd love for you to kind of expand on um I, I i assume this ties into what they've revealed in the party episode so far of like the path of shadows and stuff like that yeah. um yeah go go wild let us know all about that yeah yeah, so the way we've chosen to kind of rationalize some of those and explore the way elves fall into those kith bands, or, or in our case, the Path of Shadows, is through the fact that when chaos... So the elves burn brightly. Their souls are, you know, tasty food for demons. Mm. And, and they have to come up with ways to channel that safely. To, to maintain the integrity of their soul and not to stop them burning brightly, but really to, to Andy would be able to explain this better than me. Um, it, to, yeah, to, to stave off the demons and the way we've chosen to explore that because all through the lore, there's talk of, you know, being on the path of the mariner, there, you know, there's talk about elves who, who do the same thing for so many years to the absolute pinnacle of doing that thing. Mm. Um, and we've also, you know, in, in our 10, 15 year Wifrip, it started in the second Ed campaign. I mean, that ended with a highly 
heretical ending which brought in 40k you know like we went we went out of there hey, and, and it can't be any more heretical than the actual end times ended up being so yeah yeah and, and andy because this is what andy does you know he if the lore says something and it says something contradictory and it says something contradictory he finds a way to make all of those things true which is why finrear in the book of days saying yeah d- did we come from the gods or did the gods create us yes Yes. Yeah. That's what happened. Yeah. Yeah. Both. Yeah. <laughs> both and that's both like both. Yeah. That's exactly. And humans going, but it can't be both. And else going, well, you just don't understand. And you know, are the are the gods the old one? Yep. Yep. But they're also not. But how? How can that be? And so and so he had come up with this whole beautiful um, way of rationalizing all of these different instances of Wifrip into one um, beautiful whole. But part of that was was seeing the Eldar and, uh, you know, the concept of their avatars and and Mm. and and really the the safety that the elves get from walking down and and absolutely inhabiting the mindset of one of their gods is what protects them from the clutches of another one of the gods. Because as etheric entities, if they are fully in the mindset in this world of that god, then they, they can't be taken by, you know, that realm of that god is a different place to the realms of chaos. Mm-hmm. Um, and, so, and so that's really what we've chosen to explore, that elves' words are powerful, they're magical creatures, they can, you know, they can change themselves through their actions and so therefore they have to be so certain and so sure and so clear of what their actions are and that's where the paths come in yeah and i i I actually really like that a lot and it it meshes so well with the pre-established lore of like you know the the battle game um for a lot of the units like you have these elves that are so like you have the sword masters of hoa they're so single-mindedly determined on mastering uh swordsmanship and like they spend hundreds or thousands of years just practicing 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 um with this single-minded determination that really um i think acts as that focus point because i and i think that works so well with the whole thing of like elves have very heightened emotions and heightened senses which is why slanesh loves them so much um and that they they do have to be so careful um because if they aren't that's how we got the pleasure cults in ultawan they weren't careful they didn't have a focus and so they started getting bored they started getting distracted um and that led to bad things uh and just morothy taking advantage of that constantly (laughs) um but uh i i love that so much and you see it in all the elves like you have the hargoneth executioners are constantly trying to get like perfect decapitating strikes which is a very dark single-minded task yeah, but no it works yeah, yeah, uh, yeah. or the, the that's your job that's your job yeah or the sisters of slaughter being those uh gladiator uh gladiatoric gla- gladiatrix oh man gladiatorial Fe- <laughs> yeah. female gladiators i know there's yeah, yeah, an x in there at the end for some reason yeah, but yes yeah. uh and uh, you know really cool design and they're like uh really emulating eldrazor the lord of blades and they're going all mm-hmm. in on that um which is great and then with the wood elves you have you know they dedicate themselves traditionally to the forest um or you've got like but like you've got the um uh way watchers like they scream path stuff where they're these like very stealthy uh guys with bows who are just constantly melding with the forest and they are able to walk paths even other wood elves can't walk because they're so they're so single-minded and focused on that. I think that's such a perfect expression of those ideas, but brought to a yeah. micro level. And then, and then when you reach the ultimate end of that, as you get more and more like that 
in the you know like that god i mean ultimately you, you know you could become i guess and you could do what azurian did walk through the flame and literally become an avatar of that god or or you would reach a point where you couldn't not be that anymore you were so that 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 is now what you are and that's why you see these elves that are just they do it for thousands of years or they do it for hundreds of years and then that leads to the conclusion well if that's the case in their society evolutionarily speaking they would have a deity whose sole function was to break chains and break bonds and bring you back from the path that you were lost on. oh wow that'd be a really cool thing yeah, and, and in our iteration, I don't know if I'm allowed to say this. Yeah, yeah um, that's <laughs> that's authority. That that's her function. Ah, She's the great divider. That is the a really snake, cool way to use the that. The snake that separates the. Uh, you know that that separates in the aether, and when she's gone, and when she's missing, and when potentially she's not doing her job, that's when you get problems for elves, because she guides people on, she takes people off, and if you lost that, and and that's where the high elves and the dark elves have kind of lost it. The high elves have got lost on a set of you know one side of the bifurcated mask and one side of the pantheon. The dark elves have got lost on another, but to my mind, Malekith. The High Elves don't know this, but Malekith does, and they're just a tool. He knows. He knows mm -hmm. that one day his goal is to reunite the Elves, is to take what he's made as a tool and use it to do whatever his end goal is, which, you know, you could speculate would be to remake the glory of the Elves as it was before the Sundering, as it was before his father um through that sword yeah uh and i i love that so much um what you know one of the things that i often um when talking about like especially the dark elves because they come up with authority a lot because she's one of the the Sithari, um is that she she like the the way she was kind of introduced um uh, and like really focused on eighth edition like she's interesting but she also doesn't really make sense because they're like mm -hmm. oh she's a goddess of pleasure and it's like okay where's the line between authority and slanesh of that, yeah. like, they kind of have this, it, it just kind of seems like she's the pre-Slanesh version of Slanesh, which debatably could be a thing. But I, I love so much the idea of, like, she's this almost temptress goddess that's, no, they're, like, you pull away come from, back. yeah, come, come back, come back yeah. and yeah. experience, like, yeah. um, these other pleasures, these other worldly um, sensations and stuff. You don't have to just purely be just do here. That, that, that actually gives yeah. her a role, which yeah. is so yeah. good. And I think that's really important to me. So when I, like, when I was writing those careers, like you can blame me for the nun career not being a monk career because I, Andy and I fought over that. And you know, why would it be a nun rather than a monk? And I know that sounds really random when we're talking about authority, but for me, that aspect of slanesh and the pleasure and the sex, like, like I'm a sex positive person. So for me, for authority to have that pleasure aspect and for it to be positive and functional and natural and mm. form a part of their society was is really important to me. And you can argue, so for me, you know, it goes back to Finrear's Book of Days, you can argue that authority is pre-Slanesh. And you can argue that Slanesh only is because the elves were sundered and the elves have got lost on their path and authority's now not doing what she was. Authority mm. is now just dragging them further and further into extremes and 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 they've lost the high elves the azure well all of the azure the um druki and the azure they've got lost on their paths because they no longer have the right people to bring them back and to bring that balance and say i know you were you know lost on the path of that god of the sister but but now you can come back and you can do a different 
part of your life and mm. and that for an immortal you know fundamentally makes them different to mortals because we only have time to specialize yeah, in yeah. one thing and we, maybe we, two, we, we, we ain't got time to worry about that crap <laughs> we don't have time to worry about that yeah. what do you do and ultimately the question is it's about boredom we don't have time to worry about boredom. Humans and we don't have time to worry about boredom. They're driven by survival, mm. you know. Yeah, and good, good old annoy for the immortals. Yeah, uh, yeah. which I and that that's so um, and that that functions so well. Like one of the things I love about Wolf Up is when it writes about uh, Raya and really explores this concept of like Raya has a lot of that sex posit- uh, positivity. And like her priestesses are known for being very like you know not we- wearing very little clothing or very revealing clothing and really embracing ideas of uh, sexuality and stuff because they understand that you can't it's a natural part of life like it's just yeah. a normal thing like it's nothing to be shamed or feared but you have the sigmarites over there like clutching their their little hammers being like ah no it's wicked uh girls ah uh, uh yeah, the, yeah. the goofballs they are. Of, but by doing that, they're kind of feeding into Slanesh because if those domains aren't properly protected, then things will come into that vacuum. You know, if people yeah, don't know what yeah. they're doing, there's nothing to protect them against the more sinister aspects of it, which I think has some yeah. really interesting real world parallelisms too. Of like, you can't just not teach people things, people need to know. Um, uh, but I I love that so much. So, uh, would you be able to kind of talk about uh, if you're if you're down for it? I don't know. Obviously, don't reveal anything you don't want to as far as like any specific paths or like what kind of that um, what that journey is like for an elf of like if they're starting off on a new path, what kind of goes into making that decision in your mind? Uh, like when you're working with Alamena with what led her to the path of shadows specifically? What is the start of that journey like? <laughs> yeah. And no, how does that too go? Many sp- too many spoilers for that one. You'll <laughs> or, have to wait or, for that to come out. But, but, or, but uh, action, or a but, mystery randomized elf. Yeah, a mystery <laughs> randomized elf. Why might they... Well, for them, why might they go on a path? Because it's about the very survival of their soul. So as soon as they realise, as a as a young elf, what they are particularly passionate about, then, then elven society, their cultural <laughs> norms would be to guide that young elf into the place that that they are naturally fall into and and into in some cases though i think for an elf if you had a moment in your life where you suddenly realized you had a purpose then then that's when you would want to be walking down that path to allow you to channel that purpose it's a bit loose because yeah i don't <laughs> As I say, I haven't really played an elf before. I I haven't, and Andy has NPC'd hundreds of elves who have all been on different paths, who he all has in his head. He knows why they got there and how they got there. But I would say a path for an elf in the society that we were building is as normal as learning your language from a parent and learning the boundaries mm. of of cultural norms for humans as it, it's not like a big thing it's not like ah uh, i am an elf therefore uh, it's not like a human going into the priesthood of sigmar right it, yeah it's not it's not it's a sorting hat situation it's not a sorting hat situation and it's not in and of itself it is not your vocation so you're not like i want to become a priest of sigmar that's my career i want to be on the path of shadows that's my career it's i want to be a spy i want to be a glade guardian and and to support me in that my mental framework is say the path of shadows mm. 
and and they would be helped by those on the path who have chosen to be the priests of that path those who are lost not lost on that path but those who have chosen that path and that path alone so many elves will be like so i at the moment i'm a glade guardian so i'm on the path of whatever i'm on and if my kith require me to do something else in 50 60 years then i will then move to a different path to allow me to constrain my emotions so now now i'm sailing around the world right okay i'm on the path of the mariner because i'm exploring mm. but but then there are elves who are just that's what they are they are the priests for want of a better word and priestesses of that path a, a representation of that a closer representation of that deity mm. yeah that's awesome um so for for people that may be like looking to uh, like role plays an elf or they're like GMs out there who are making elves for their campaigns, um, is there anything in particular you would really recommend as far as like mindsets to get into or questions to focus on answering or little maybe pit holes to watch out for as far as bringing those characters to life or designing them? Yeah. So so the biggest secret is remember when you were a teenager, right? <laughs> and when you were a teenager, and I remember this vividly, I wrote the journal for years and then I threw it away in a fit of pique because I was a teenager. And I've spent the rest of my life being like, why did I throw away all my journals? <laughs> I want to go back and read them. Yeah. But I was a teenager, right? So in that moment, I remember it well. Um, someone had said to me, don't throw away your journals because you'll regret it when you're older. And I was like, fuck you. Yeah, how I'm dare you? I'll away. do what I how want. How yeah. dare you? I'll do what I want. Because you knew with absolute certainty. And, and I, I tried to describe that to people you know the first time you fall in love or the first time something happens when you're a teenager it is everything like everything mm. you forget everything you forget school you forget university college you forget being polite to people around you because you have one thing in front of you and that is whatever you have just done for the first time and you want to do forever yeah so so yeah I think we think of elves as, as teenagers, very long-lived teenagers, very capable <laughs> teenagers, but with the certainty of purpose that that only really adolescent humans have. Yeah, I that that's such a good way to put it. Of like whether, oh man, that that just brings up so many like nightmare memories all of a sudden. <laughs> it's like um, that. That's I think that's such a that's such a brilliant way to to demonstrate that to people. Of like that's the level of passion that they should really yeah. have for things. And also kind of a level of obsession too. Like in, in like from a human perspective is like, Oh, that's kind of, <laughs> that's a little worrisome. <laughs> um, yeah, exactly. Yeah. Because, because when you're that age, like, and it is partially because it's all the first time. <laughs> and so when parents and friends oh, me, say Kat. like, you know, you're like, my heart's broken and I will never live again. <laughs> They're like, it's fine. You know, that'll happen again to you. It doesn't feel like it will. It doesn't feel like they could possibly understand. Every song you listen to speaks directly to the events right. that are happening yeah. to you, right? And that's what I try to bring with Alamenowife. It's why she's always so, and this, this is a symbol of whatever, because everything that happens in the world to her is, is directly speaking to the fundamental issue of her life. Yeah, yeah. Main character She's syndrome. She's the main character. Yeah, main yeah, character yeah, syndrome yeah, all the way to the max. Yeah. All the way to the max. Yeah. <laughs> that is absolutely fantastic. And and that fits so well. Like it um I think that does such a good way to help because like I, I've I've worked with like some role players or GMs who are like really, really great. Um, but when they come to a Warhammer Elf, I've genuinely got messages where they're like, I'm 
stumped like because like one of um one of my only criticisms uh about like um oh, not my only criticism one of my major uh only crit only major i should say criticisms with uh the current edition of wolfrup is that it it tends to be a little lacking as far as like guiding players on elves mm -hmm. um and that like it's it's weirdly like it, it tends to be such from a human perspective yeah. the way the books are written um that uh, granted, like the halfling portions, I think are really well done and do a really good job exploring the halflings. Same with dwarfs, and like dwarfs also have received a lot of attention um, mm -hmm. and are pretty consistent against other forms of media. Like a Lord of the Rings dwarf is not that different from a Warhammer dwarf. A Warhammer dwarf yeah. is just like angrier and holds under grudges more. But other than yeah. that, they're pretty similar. Um, but like the elves are like totally yeah. like Warhammer elves are so unique. Um, like a lot of people are like, oh, they're just token elves. It's like, no, no, they're really not. Like they're to really not token, token elves, elves. Are more like yeah. angels, like very yeah, specifically, yeah. or um, or like very very enhanced humans. Whereas the Warhammer elves are these. They're so alien. Um, yeah. Which is why I get in such a tizzy when, <laughs> like, I love Total War Warhammer. I hate the elf designs, uh, like physically, because they're like, oh, they're humans with pointy ears. And it's like, ah, I like yeah. Vermintide for me is like peak peak elf design uh i love Karelian. um as far as like her design and the way she's voice acted and everything they did such a good job with her um of like carrying that that arrogance and that that assurity um that when you really break it down it, it's such an interesting character like whenever Karelian has these little lines um where she's like talking to herself um it's so much more interesting than when the other characters do because when she has doubt it's scary like you're like, oh, there's something like really wrong if she's doubting what's going on. Um but um I, I love that. I love that so much. The other thing I've tried to do and and is I've tried well, I, I although elves are so long lived, you would think that a lot of their actions they would just be like, Well, it's fine, I can get it wrong, I can do it differently. But I've actually taken the flip side of that and said they're really they're aware of the impact of actions and choice. They have to be because of the unique um soul issues that they face compared to other um other <clears throat> species. And so as a result, everything they do is purposeful. So I've really tried to think about from even the point of view of where Alamenoite sits and and what she does, uh, that those things are purposeful. They're purposefully intended. Not necessarily always. She. It doesn't mean she's always consistent. It just means they're purposefully intended to have an impact mm -hmm. on other people or other things around her. She does things for a reason. Yeah. Um, so um, as far as uh, kind of going back to the Einir a little bit. Um, if there's, um, would you, uh, feel comfortable kind of delving in a little too, as far as like how they, uh, people could really, um, role play an Einir specifically versus like the other kind of elves, as far as like, how would they, <coughs> excuse me, I had like a little thing in my throat there. Um, how would they, um, how would they feel about like, especially the other elves, as far as like when they're going out into the world and they're encountering, um, the Asur or the sea elves of Marienburg or like a dark elf, uh, out there, or even the actual Azrai, these these weirdly magically bound the forest elves. Like, kind of, what did um, do you have any um, opinions on like their what their thoughts might be as far as like the other race or the other uh, races within their species? So yeah, so I think for them, they are. So in our iteration again, Maraseth has been there for a long time. 
the Queen of the Wood. Mm. And so she has purposefully not gone back when she was called back, much like the Azrai didn't go back as well, but she chose a different route. So she didn't choose to sacrifice a part of their elvishness to be bonded to to the forest. They've chosen a different route and they've chosen a political route. So how would I say they would appear to the other races of elves? As much like the other races of elves as they could. So they didn't (laughs) notice that they were different. Like they're politicians and they're spies. And, And they will present themselves as they need to present themselves to get the outcome and the end that they want. Mm. So there, and if you look, you know, you can see the hints of of how the different elves are. Because if you maybe actually, maybe this is Andy's character generation, not what's in the core book. I would need to go back and check. But certainly, you can get hints of what they would be like from the the talents and the starting characteristics of elves compared to humans, and, no, and I, how I, that would, I would manifest. Agree with that. Yeah. Mm. Yeah. 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 That's. And, yeah. Okay. Yeah. I wanted to go back to the dwarves though, because you mentioned that a little while ago. And and the dwarves to me are quite interesting. So I I did a masterclass for for Inside the Rookery a while ago for our patrons on different ways to interpret the dwarves of Warhammer taking like from my background, from like an evolutionary perspective. Like what mm. is the evil and that's where I always start with when I'm thinking about fantasy species and how they differ from humans and how you can really characterize them as different from humans. So like, what's the evolutionary advantage and what's the reason that they're like that? So for the dwarves of Warhammer, they don't have very many women. Um, you know, they have a, a ratio of men yeah, to it's women. Like, it's like one to is, seven. It's crazy. Yeah, one to seven, right? And and so rather than just say, right, so they're just like short humans who come from a part of the world where they don't have very many women. I prefer to say, right, so evolutionarily speaking, something there's a reason for that and what could that be and then i would look to different models of like reproduction and societies that we already have in this world like for example naked mole rats right so Mm. naked mole rats are a really good analogy for dwarves they live underground they live for a long time. They can only really be killed. Their biggest form of death is like snakes and predators. Mm. They don't mutate in the sense that they don't get cancer. Their telomeres don't shorten. So that's why they don't get cancer and they don't really age. They have like a breeding female. And then and they have this, like, you know, they're really like dwarves. I mean, mm. and, and then when you think about that, you can say, right, well, if they're really like dwarves, then like are skaven, like twisted. Everyone thinks it's the green skins and the dwarves, but actually, is there something in that that Skaven also having that underground, you know, the breeding females, the like is there something in that? Don't know. Yeah. Um, but that's yeah, the, 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 the spooky thing is that is a question posited by the setting itself, the whole um uh oh well, god, exactly. I, I can't remember his name off the top of my head. That there's the there's the the traitor ancestor god who they're like the dwarves think he made the Skaven, yeah. which is like, and then, <laughs> and then I like to think about, so if you then think about what the dwarves are like, so you could go like that, or you could actually go full down the B route, right? You could say, like, mm. dwarves have got a queen, and actually, that really fits in, if you were doing a different thing, that really fits in with Tolkien, where, where you know, you hardly ever see a female dwarf, and when you do, they're usually princesses, right? Mm. But in but in Wifra, again, there, there's probably a more of a balance, a one to seven, but what would that do, then, to their society? So they might become 
become more like the cultures in our world where farming is really poor. So there's some cultures in our world where um, there's polyandry. It's not proper polyandry. What it is is a woman will marry a man, but her brothers will stay with her on the farm. Mm. And that's a really good model for dwarves. That's why their clans are so important. Because as a, as, a, as a man, as a dwarf man, evolutionarily speaking, you probably won't pass on your gene, right? Because you won't get a right. chance. Mm. There's only like one woman for every seven of you. Therefore, what becomes more important in terms of um, survival of the fittest and evolutionary advantage, the closest relatives to you. What are those? They're your nephews and your nieces that your sister has had. And that is a perfect model for the dwarven um, kin. Clan is so important honor is so important and then you know you've got from like the real world loads of ideas of how you can then change dwarves from just being like honorable short angry grumpy humans to no no there's a reason they're like that they mm. have to be like that and then of course they live underground <clears throat> so that's why they have runes because you can feel runes it's not like writing mm. what does that mean for the way they communicate so goblins you can imagine them like banging drums so do dwarves have more sensitive hearing like yeah, what I, and changes them because of where they live. I love so much of that because you you also see that like kind of reflected in the setting in a lot of ways of like whenever we have had black library authors or the books explore like explore female dwarfs, you have that concept of like they kind of almost have these like bodyguards of brothers and and father figures and stuff and like marrying a female uh, or uh, a female dwarf being married is such a big deal with like uh, these dowries and these whole big things and it's it's always political in the sense of it's always about the clan it's not really about mm -hmm. really what she wants in a lot of ways but uh though the dwarf women actually tend to take that really well in stride uh probably because they just they understand um and dwarves are very like for the yeah and, for the greater good of the the clan exactly yeah exactly because and that's where for me if i'm if i was role playing a dwarf that's the critical difference so in our human world we would see that as a negative we would see that as forced marriage we would see that as and and by the way i totally agree with that mm. in the real world you absolutely should not be dictated to you by your family who you marry but but dwarves aren't humans and they don't live in the human world so we can put that morality aside and acknowledge you know we don't we don't tolerate right. that in the real world but in Wifrup and for the dwarven it, it's not even that dwarven women are putting up with it it's that that's how dwarven women marry. It's not that the men are picking the marriage for them as the clan. Flip it round. The reason the dwarven woman is picking the marriage for her clan. Mm. You know, why would the men, why would it be the dwarven men that pick for her? It wouldn't be. It would be a clan decision and she, as the primary way in which that clan reproduces itself she would be core and heart you know heart of that decision mm. and they worship their ancestors well their ancestors are not just men their ancestors even though a dwarf is a dwarf man has seven men beside him for every one, one woman when he looks at his ancestors he's got 50 50 male and female dwarves mm. so the ancestors are peculiarly because they have to be more balanced than the actual society and that would have a massive impact because they worship their ancestors yeah you worship each other. that 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 works so well too especially like you know dwarves a lot of people think they are but they're they're not they're not a patriarchal society at all like yeah. dwarf women have incredible roles like the, there's the really famous special character queen helga she was a terrifying badass she did not fuck around with anybody 
Um, like dwarfs are very, there's even some really funny notes in the lore about how like dwarf queens are noted to be much scarier than the dwarf kings tend to be. Uh, and they, they wield incredible amounts of power. Like even the, the Kings we all know and love, like King Ungrim Iron Fist, the Slayer King, like a lot of people would think he would be the ultimate patriarch. He's not his queen, his queen, um, Kemma, she has way more authority than he does. Like she strictly is like, no, you will not go kill yourself in this battle. And he's just like, damn it. Yeah. And if you think about it, um, as a female dwarf versus a male dwarf, if ancestors are how you become gods in dwarven society, because it is, that's what they worship. You're seven times more likely to, to be a goddess than you are a god because of the balance of, mm. Because most dwarves won't become an most male dwarves won't become an ancestor because yeah you're dead you're a dead end yeah <laughs> you're a dead end uh, 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 an honored one but one nonetheless <laughs> an honored one but yeah yeah um ah that's so great um so I I, I do have like various questions coming in from chat that I'm gonna kind of oh, okay. uh, jump in as we're also going through some other subjects um so uh. So someone asked, uh, do you think, uh, uh, this is a very specific question, but I'm curious how you think Alamenowith would handle it <laughs> yeah. as far as what do you think Alamenowith's, uh, her, uh, understanding of like, uh, like I imagine she's encountered her fair share of dwarfs or at least a couple of them and kind of maybe having a bit of an understanding that they're supposed to be different from humans they're supposed to be different from elves. Um, do you think she'd have kind of a very bizarre reaction when it comes to meeting a chaos dwarf and seeing this? extremely heavily mutated dwarf. It, it's almost a stable form of mutation, but it's this creature that's so embraced chaos I, when they're not supposed to. Yeah, so I think Alamenowith, she's quite unusual because she is so young and, and she's hasn't met that many dwarves, but she knows enough to know what dwarves are and, and what the hallmarks of a dwarf is. And I think if Alamenowith met a chaos dwarf, she would be absolutely... It would further strengthen her conviction that what she's doing is right because the end times are here because mm. dwarves shouldn't be like that and the fact that dwarves are like that means the architect's plan and the ruinous pirates plan is so far advanced that they're literally they're not even at five minutes to midnight anymore they're now at one minute to midnight mm. because the impossible <laughs> Def- Def- ha- has happened yeah mm. So it would it would strengthen her conviction and also like absolutely terrify her right She'd be horrified mm-hmm. right. yes Great, I'm in the middle of something. Uh, so, uh, awesome, awesome, awesome. Uh, so going from that, uh, okay, here we go. Uh, bu- 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 bu. So there's someone that asks a weird question about a personal game I'm running. So in my game, I'm playing a, oh, wow, this is interesting. Uh, they're playing a wood elven shapeshifter uh, running under the idea that they're an offspring of Orion and Ariel. And they're curious if this, well, this is a very interesting question. Uh, okay. I will, I will kind of toss my own answer in on this. So they're yeah, running, under the, they're <laughs> running under the idea that being a child of Orion and Ariel, they might have more than one soul being the child of two gods. Um, uh, and that might explain how they could be related to like the sisters of twilight being an entity that is seemed to be split. Uh, I think there's a reasonable basis there. It's definitely a stretch. <laughs> uh, I, I would say that Orion and Ariel probably are not in the business of producing children as far as like physically being able to anymore. Um, uh, but more probably because of Orion's nature than Ariel's, uh, where Orion is kind of like a weird reincarnating entity. Um, Oh, wrong scene. Thank you. 
hold on. My so for anyone care, uh, I got briefly interrupted by my loving family being like, "There's food downstairs." And it's like that's great. I'm <laughs> I'm busy. <laughs> Uh, French toast sounds awesome. I'll, you know, I'll heat it up later. Um, uh, no, that's, I do think that's an interesting idea as far, especially, and I do think a wood elf is probably the best way to explore that idea. I also want to jump in with that of, um, when you're dealing with the Azrae, weird stuff happens in Athel Lauren. It's weird. It's basically the realm of chaos. Um, but just a wood version of it. Like it's a strange place. It doesn't work with time. It doesn't work with like space. Like it's, it's weird. Um, and we do have weird situations like the sisters of twilight, who a lot of people think are Ariel and Orion's kids, but they're not, they're, they're Ariel, purely Ariel. Um, uh, what, what the lore seems to suggest is that they are, when Ariel went really heavy into dark magic and kind of corrupted herself in a sense, uh, she wanted to purify that out of herself because it started darkening a lot of her decisions. Um, but she kind of seemed to have gone a little over far and she took the two most extreme forms of her emotions, the really like bright light side, her, a lot of her mercy and pity. And she also took this urge for battle, this desire for bloodshed, this, uh, like the more pitiless side. And she separated those from herself. And, uh, this seems to have split into these two children who are connected to her, Nystra and Arahan. But they are reflections of Ariel. She is their mother, but Orion is not their father. Um, when Orion, the first time Orion ever meets them is when they show up at the King's Glade. They're like, we represent Ariel. And Orion, like everyone looks at Orion and he looks at them and is kind of like, yeah, all right. Like I could sense their mother in them. And he was not thrilled because he knew that meant Ariel was staying away. She was remaining in exile. Um, but he didn't know them. Um and they showed up fully grown like they're just they just appeared one day um there is also of course the myth the myth that a child wandered into Athaloran and the forest itself changed that child and split them into two people um that had e either side of that soul i think there's truth to that myth but it is from the perspective of they split off of ariel and it was ariel's way of balancing herself out um in the way that a god would <laughs> a, a demigod uh, as opposed to like a regular mortal um, but I don't know if you have it, your uh, uh, a personal theory kind of running in your head about that uh, I think if how I would potentially think about it and rationalize it and it's an option is that you would make that that child your character like a representation of the state of the Azrai so you would have their soul being split because they got an elven soul and they also got the 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 spirit of the wood so that you know that as orion and orion and ariel kind of reflect that seasonal you know they come mm -hmm. they live he die i i think i would do it like that and so i would say that's what they've got you maybe got the elven soul um from from ariel and the spirit of the wood from from orion and, and oh, okay. but you still have like a split soul fundamentally it reflects in that character because it's the child of them both so if you think of a child as the thing that they have wrought together mm. that's what i would do what they have wrought together is a changing and a a weirdness to an el uh, to an elf soul yeah i, I also really like that because uh, that fits in really well to like a shapeshifter as far as like exactly. they have that yeah. seasonal yeah. weirdness also like yeah. and for uh who was that um, 
uh, uh, slaughter that actually works great because like wood elves are really well known for putting changelings, um, which it's, it's a really fucked up thing if you think about it too much, but they like steal Bretonian babies and replace them with changelings. Like that is something they absolutely do, um, to like influence the Dukes and stuff. Uh, so, uh, yeah, you could actually do that. Uh, but yeah, hopefully that, uh, helps them provide some stuff. So, uh, getting kind of back into a topic, one of the things I, so I've been very, very lucky and privileged to have had the opportunity to chat with Lindsay before. Uh, and one of the things that I love so much, uh, and like it, it really helps explore in my mind potential, uh, for Warhammer fantasy is really, I, I think the lure of the battle game, that is a very tricky trap to fall into, um, that everyone, if you care about Lord needs to avoid is that the battle game for the sake of the battle game states absolutes. Um, mm -hmm. it says things like these guys are evil. These guys are good. Like these guys are order. These guys are destruction. Um, uh, these gods are evil. These gods are not when it's really not like that at all. It's, it's a spectrum of gray. Um, and one of the things that, um, uh, I talked about a little bit with Lindsay in the past, and I'd love for you to kind of expand on is the concept of like taking a race that almost, if you put 10 Warhammer players in a room and ask them, is this race evil? They'd all, all 10 of them would say yes. And that's the beastmen of chaos of that. Mm, yeah. Maybe the beastmen aren't quite as, uh, like through circumstance. Yes. They're all like come off as evil and maybe they all kind of hate civilization in a way because it's had such a dramatic impact on them and a lot of their world and stuff in that they had a pre-established order. Humanity came in and was like, nah, we're going to burn all these. We're going to chop all these trees down, burn off, you know, all the grass, make fields, and we're going to change everything um, and chase y'all out. Um, but uh, uh, I, I recall you mentioning a Beastman of Tall concept. Yeah. yeah. Uh, and I, I'd love to hear more about that. Yeah, the, where that came from was I was playing that character I mentioned, Sigrid, and she grew up in Nordland. So she grew up right on the north coast of the Empire. And because of that, you know, in the lore, the Norse, uh, the Norskins, they do trade, right? So they mm. do trade with Marienburg. They do other things too, but they do trade. And what that means, logically, therefore, it means that there are some Norskins who are not as deeply entrenched in worshipping chaos as others. Right? right. So it means there's a spectrum of chaos worship as you go north, and it makes sense, right? So the, there are tribes in the, of Norskins who literally were chased out of the empire by Sigmar, you know, over over the sea. They just lived in they lived in the empire before. They were just mm. like tribes. They didn't worship chaos then. They, in fact, they were chased out because they just didn't submit to Sigmar. And then they went north. And as you go north, the reality of chaos becomes realer in in Wifra. And so therefore, in a world that's already a pantheon, if you're, you know, giving birth to a child and, and you're in Norska, yeah, you might pray to Raya or you might pray to Dyrath or whatever version of that of that god you have, but you'll also have a spiritual advisor, a Vicky or whatever, who advises you on how to appease all the gods. So so for them, it's not like in the Empire where where the chaos gods are outlawed and therefore it is illegal to do it. And once something becomes illegal and taboo, it it has a connotation of evil and therefore it then becomes... Like, if you live up north, your children might be born mutated. Does that mean they're born evil? Well, I fundamentally reject that. Mm -hmm. How can a baby be born evil just because it's mutated? So the reality of day-to-day -day life for Norskins is that they are closer to the weeping eye and they have to try to placate all the gods around them and survive. 
right? That's the reality right. of humanity. Is yeah, and it's, it's, so, and it's hard living up there. Hard living. It's hard living up there, right? So that's where it started. And some Norsecan tribes choose to do that by following um, corn and by, you know, imposing their will on others, by raiding, by taking slaves. Some of them choose to do it through politics. Some of them choose to do it through trading and may worship a selection of gods, including some of the chaos gods, but also including some of the gods that you would know in the empire. So that's where it started, that there's a spectrum. And once it becomes not black and white, then everything is up for debate on whether mm. it's black and white. And what is fundamentally bad about Beastmen, apart from in our real world, like a human slight revulsion at there being like a person's body with a beast head on it. Mm. But, but if you think about it, they reproduce and they have children, which means Beastmen have families, which means those families travel through the forest. They live in war bands in war herds they can't and, and they live lives quit bumping in are, andy i hear you back there yeah yeah correct. <laughs> um and they live lives that are just lives like how is that so different from being a human so when however they have been hunted and herded and um corrupted sometimes they've been persecuted they've been set against humans they've been pushed into the farthest reaches of the forest and mm. in uh, and they have been used by forces of Northmen, by, you know, the... Yeah, and cha chaos right? treats them and terribly. Like, the lore is very... It's very explicit that the Dark Oz just... They don't care. They already have the Beastman yeah. souls. They're like, whatever. Yeah, yeah, well, yeah, exactly. But if you're... If you live in, I don't know, the woods of Talapheim, of Talabekland even, and, and you're just a tribe of Beastmen that have lived there for centuries, for thousands of years... What is it about you that's innately? How would you even know about chaos? Like, so if mm. you took a beastman baby and raised it, would it be would it be brutal? Well, it probably is because they're predators. They eat meat, you know, they've got sharp teeth. But humans are brutal. Yeah. Like, let's not pretend that beastmen do actually that no, much. It's like people that, people have cats. That really bad pets, humans do. And you see what cats do if they can't like cats torture things for fun. Like, yeah, <laughs> yeah. But we love so, them. So the idea that this character had, based on her personal experience, was like, so, in the north, they worship Ulrich as the god of war. So why wouldn't the beastmen of the forest worship a horned god? Mm. Like, I don't, and she just didn't understand. And, th and then that led her to say, well, if I could go north and I could convert Norskins to the worship of Ulrich, which she, you know, had had some success in doing with North Norskins who had come to the Empire, then why couldn't you go into the forests and be a missionary to beastmen and help them turn away from the lure and the raw power and the immediate power of the ruinous powers mm. and turn to Tal? Why, why wouldn't that be possible? Because if you... <laughs> Because if it if it isn't possible, then you have to accept that some races in with Ripper inherently evil. And by the way, if that's your Warhammer, you can choose to do that. Yeah, it, it does make things a lot easier. Like, <laughs> it does make things yeah. a lot easier. But but if you're asking questions about Warhammer as a as a world in which people and beastmen live, not just to be on the other side of the war game, then it does. Yeah. prompt questions like that well, so and, that's what she had a plan to do yeah i i think that makes so much sense because like some so something that's kind of looming on the horizon for a lot of warhammer fans is that you know with the old world coming back and like the total war game pushing into places we never imagined we were finally going to get to go like grand cathay is now just a thing um you know a lot of people are really hoping we're going to see like the kingdoms of end 
And the Kingdoms of the End are so famous for having the Tiger Men. Like, it's such yeah. a famous aspect of their culture. And it's like, people are like, but aren't the Tiger Men just Beastmen? It's like, well, maybe, but like, even if they were, they would be like accepted Beastmen or borderline like worshipped Beastmen. Like, there's there's notes about how the people of End bring them offerings and interact with them and like hold them in this high esteem. So like that would have allowed them to have gotten stable. That would have allowed them to establish themselves. And they're prop they're not like they're are they chaos worshippers? Absolutely not, probably. Because they probably didn't have to be forced into that relationship. Exactly. Um, which means that are they beastmen in the sense that they're like they are bestial humans? And like like at the very basic core, are they beastmen? Yeah, probably. But yep. they probably are so much different from the Empire ones, and like I bet they're less prone to mutating because they don't have that relationship with chaos of that. Yeah, they're born different. Um, they probably have mutations, um, but they probably have stable mutations, not yeah, it's, the wild yeah, so like a craziness stable race, of beasts. Right? Yeah. yeah, an absolute stable race, and that you know, in the early days of Warhammer, I think it comes from the lore being developed over time, right? So mm. originally there was the idea that beastmen were literally just mutated humans who who had been abandoned as babies and dumped in the forests. And over time that developed into no actually they're they're a stable race. They they reproduce, they have, you know, their different, you know, their gores, their ungores, their best gores. Right. And they reproduce um like predictably according to that. So therefore that means that beastmen are not just the product of chaos popping up all over the place, which means there is something else going on. Yeah. You could say that the only reason they even exist as a stable race is because sometime in the past something awful happened and that whole species was tainted with the touch of chaos. But that's what the elves believe about humans. Yeah, which is, so, I, I would say that's completely accurate. Like, they have the whole thing you of... Know. The you know, the great cataclysm happened and a fair amount of humans were either melded with animals or mutated to like reflect yeah. their inner being. And ever since then we've had beastmen like, yeah, sure. Yeah. They, they benefit from the mutant babies. Um, but like, generally speaking, the mutant babies aren't even high up in the beastman echelon. Like on very rare occasions, they, they become big deals. Yeah. Um, but, and, and we had, and Andy had a fascinating character in our previous campaign. Um, am I allowed to say, I won't say anything about, about who it was or what it was, but he <laughs> reversed the turnskin idea. And the beastman had a baby that was born that looked like a human. Mm. And what happened to that baby? Well, that was a question of many stories, but that then is a really interesting idea because. Yeah, I, oh God, um, uh, I want to say there's, there's a, there's a reference to, it's not that specifically, but there is a reference I want to say in the seventh edition Beastman book to a, like a pure Beastman child. Like it, it looks like a regular human. I think I can't remember. It has like one feature that maybe is a little weird, but yeah, like, like the, little horns. Does it not have like tiny? Horns yeah. I, I think it might have like a small well, set like, of horns or something, but it's like, but it's yeah. like, they're considered a huge deal when they happen. And they usually go on to be quite scary. Um, yeah. because the beastmen raised them and like one of my favorite characters from a black library book is from the Bretonia series, uh, uh, Callard series where the first book, um, I don't want to spoil the whole book, but the first book features as the antagonist, one of these babies that was given away to the beastmen. And like when this child grows up, they are, they are like terrifying and they're so 
angry and so resentful <laughs> because they were abandoned. And they, they, I mean, they care for the Beastmen because the Beastmen raised them, but they come back for a revenge plot and it is scary stuff. Mm -hmm. um, yeah. Like it's literally about them going after the parents that abandoned them to die. Like, you know, it wasn't yeah, like the parents yeah. were like, oh, we're handing you off to the beast. You know, they leave them in the forest and are like, either an animal's going to eat yeah. you or you'll starve or the beastman will take you. Yeah. But like, that's one are of options. the early novels. Yeah. Oh, yeah. It's it's an old, 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 old book. Um, that, that, I mean, they, they re released it into an omnibus. Uh, but is it, it the, the, uh, ones. Anthony Anthony Reynolds uh wrote the series and it uh it's it re got re-released into an omnibus like a yeah. year ago or something. Yeah. Um yeah, and 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 so you when those humans do come along or those beastmen do because beastmen are subject to change, so the change could be the reverse direction or or maybe never. It was never a direction at all and they just are a different species, but you know, humans just because humans sometimes mutate into things that look like beastmen, mm. they think of beastmen as all mutated humans. Yeah, uh, yeah. Yotam brings up a really good point as well. Is like uh, he's like uh, he says that um, whether or not a race is evil is kind of irrelevant if you think about it, really, because we judge that from a human perspective. But exactly. like yeah. orcs, orcs aren't evil; they're just orcs. No. They're just a force of nature. You know, they're just something that yeah. happens. Yeah, tornadoes. Tornadoes aren't evil; they're just yeah, exactly. tornadoes. It's just, it's just yeah. the way it is. Yeah. Um, which is but, and her a good and point. her thesis and her thesis was exactly that that evil it depends on your perspective and therefore why wouldn't we be able to convert them with mm. the, and she was an Ulrican so it was like well the force of our will could go into the forest and take them back from what they worship and make them you know like our allies and turn them against the yeah. forces of chaos I, I, and I the think, best route to that God, would be that tough. would make that would make for such a great PC playing like someone that was born a mutant. Um, and is like hiding it or like was even given away to the beastmen, but they're trying to like reintegrate uh, for whatever yeah. reason that could make for an awesome PC though. It would be difficult. <laughs> You'd have to have a good yeah, GM. Yeah. Um, but uh, I, I love that so much. And I, I really do think that's kind of like some of the best stuff to explore. Like um, one of my favorite things to talk about when people bring up beastmen are the does of that. Like mm -hmm. there are these female beastmen that are known for being docile. Like they're not violent. They're, they're very, um, they tend to be skittish for understandable reasons, but like they're, they're not supposed to be violent. A lot of the time they, they tend to just avoid people. Um, yeah. and it's like, and if that's the case, then like, and that's what triggered, that's what triggered the character Sigrid's, um, first thoughts in this. So obviously it came, it was informed by her background, but she was traveling through the forest of the empire with people. And she came upon like a war band and that war band happened to be near their doles. And the, the the knights that she was with slaughtered those does and those babies. Mm. And they were peaceful and defenseless and they wept and held on to their baby beastmen. And she was devastated and distraught. And it fundamentally cha and she changed her perspective. And said, well, who's, who's really evil? Yeah. Why, why don't they have the right to live in the forest and live their life in the forest? What are they doing to you? You just murdered, like, yeah, I I always think... intelligent and they were in, you know yeah oh they're just animals no but they're not are they they're yeah, intelligent no, yeah, yeah. they cried as the babies they're, they're, died they're sapient yeah full on yeah, yeah. Uh, I, I I think that tends to be when Warhammer like it's obviously it's dark but I I think that tends to be when Warhammer flexes its muscles the best yeah. is when you have those situations of like like I, I'll never forget reading the very first Gotrek book which is more of a collection of short stories and they have that encounter with the child of Ulrich and Gotrek being a dwarf dwarfs tend to have much more of a a very strict understanding, which 
I think has reflected a lot in Sigmarites and humans. Um, you know, the dwarf, Gotrek's like, oh, it's, it's a chaos creature. You know, it's a werewolf, essentially. Like, mm-hmm. we have to kill it. And Felix is like, but she helped us. And, like, she also looks like a human. And the, Gotrek ends up killing her. And it's it's this really dark, sad thing of, like, Gotrek's like, she's a problem. Like, she's got to go. And um, even the cult of Ulrich is so divided on that. Like, the cult of Ulrich, when you bring up a child of Ulrich, oh, man, that's a spicy topic for them. <laughs> they get really uncomfortable with that. Because, uh, you know, for them, it's like, some of them are like, oh, well, this person is clearly blessed by our God. And some of the others are like, no, this person is not a person. They're turning into a wolf creature. So clearly it's chaos. And it's like, maybe, maybe let's calm down a little bit. But, you know, they're they're terrified of the Sigmarites finding out because the Sigmarites could wield that against them of, look, they're beastmen or like they're worshiping beastmen. And they would totally do that if they could get away with it for political reasons. And- and um, that strikes right to the heart of the campaign that we're playing because, you know, the mutant edict has has just happened and said mm. mutants are legal. And that's like every NPC we meet at the moment obviously has an opinion on that. And the opinions range from, oh, my God, that's awful. How could the emperor have done that to, to quite profound questions of, well, does that mean if I now have a baby who has X that I can keep the baby? Um, and Alla Menowith has really struggled and you know her and Leopold are arguing all the time because to her mind she doesn't see where they draw the line what is a mutation and what is just a natural variant of humanity because to Mm -hmm. her the humans all look different anyway so how do they know and then Leopold comes out with well it's clear it's a corruption of the soul and she's like but how can that be true how do you know that that thing is a corruption of the soul and that that bright wizard whose hair has gone orange because he's channeled the actuary so much mm. isn't a corruption of his soul? How are you drawing these lines? How are you drawing these distinctions? And and isn't that awful for you as a people? Yeah, well, and, and that's such a good point of like, it's it, it, it shows how dangerous that dogma is of like, and and why you know witch hunters tend to be such effective villains or or like yeah. zealous warrior priests and stuff like that. If you have these zealots who it's like, where do they draw the line? Like, uh, if they come across a redheaded person and they've never seen a yeah. redhead, are they like mutant <laughs> burner at the stake? And it's like, yes, they would absolutely do that. There are examples of that in the story of there are witch hunters out there who have gone insane with their zealotry and they kill lots of innocent people because to them, you know, better innocents die and go to Sigmar then we risk any taint of corruption when they're clearly going too far. Um, mm-hmm. Which makes for such uh, an interesting storytelling device. Um, and uh, I, it, it, it just helps like Warhammer, like a lot of people, like I think 40 K tends to fall into this annoying thing of like, Oh, it, grim and gritty is all that matters, but it's like, no, in Warhammer it's, it's not about just the grim and gritty. It is grim and gritty, but that's not the point. It's not grim dark. Mm-hmm. It's not that there's no hope. You know, there is yeah. hope. There are people that go, no, this is dumb. We should do something different. And they, they have power. They're able to actually make changes. Um, you know, like I, although I'm, I'm really curious how Andy's going to interpret him, but like, I really like the Grand Theogenist Volkmar when he becomes Grand Theogenist because he has such a different perspective on things of, or you have like Luther Huss. Luther Huss is a very unique character because he goes around killing other Sigmarites who he's like, no, you guys suck. Like (laughs) you guys are either you're chaos worshipers or you're like, you know, he's, he's like this goofy Martin Luther. Like, yeah, he pins his thoughts on the door, but he also goes around braining, um, overzealous witch hunters and stuff with his hammer. Um, and it's, it's such a, it's such an awesome way to explore things. 
of that, you know, like in a 40k campaign, I don't think you realistically by following the lore can have characters who are trying to make a difference. Like it's just not really a possible mm -hmm, thing. Mm -hmm. Whereas in fantasy, that is what you're supposed to do. Like that is mm -hmm. your, it, you are trying to fight the end times. You are trying to thwart yeah. the end times. Now, are you going to be able to stop it forever? Probably not, but you could delay it. You know, that mm -hmm. that's always been the goal. The, the goal has always yeah, been yeah, just, to, just yeah. to push yeah. the clock back another minute. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I, uh, yeah. I think in the Sigma in the Sigmarite example, it's really easy to consider like we were talking about with the elves and considering them as one homogenous thing. It's really mm. easy to think of like the cult of Sigmar as well they're they're the ones who want X because you know they they worship this Sigmar, they think of Sigmar as this, but actually the empire's pretty big. The cult of Sigmar, you know, you see it in, in the lore, there's there's this order, there's that order. And, and very few of them are actually blessed by Sigmar. So very few of them can actually claim to have any, and even the ones that are blessed, you don't know what Sigmar wants. You don't right. know what he intends. Mm. You don't know why today your prayer when you roll your dice works and tomorrow it doesn't seem to manifest as anything but, you know, helping your, your faith continue. Mm. Most of the Sigmarites are in politics. That, that's yeah. what most of them are in. So, so when the Grand Theogenist reacts to something, like, humans tend to think, well, yeah, he's reacting because that's what Sigmar wants. No, he's reacting like that because he's the Grand Theogenist. He probably comes from a noble family unless, you know, he's really come up through the ranks. But really, when you look at the lore, a lot of the wizards, high-ranking wizards, a lot of the high-ranking um Oh, yeah, nepotism to the... Are noble. Big nepo nepotism babies. Nepotism to the core, Big right? nepo, big babies, nepo yeah. babies. And therefore, if you look at, you know... Andy's iteration mm. of, of Thyrus Gorman, of Hans Feuerbach, who was in Elric's, I don't mm. know if you've got to Elric's yes, yet. Yes, they, awesome. they have, they have imperial families. They're not disconnected from them. They don't go to the colleges and be like, right, see you, Dad. I know I was heir, but now I'm a wizard and I'll never speak to you again. They still have a dad who is the Duke of, I don't know, Feuerbach or whatever. Oh, he's like <laughs> telling me something again. Um you know, they still have a dad right. who is somewhere who stays in contact with them. And so while they are pressing forward the cause of their college or their cult, they're also in contact with their family. They're also yeah, which, pressing like, their own imperial it's politics. It's still the person that raised you or, you know, yeah. like, you know, or you just have those, you know, real world things like in our world. Like, yeah, you go on and make your own life, but you still have your family. And, like, and you yeah. may even have a tumultuous relationship with your family, but still would side with them yeah. or not side with them. And, like, it's it's complicated. It's complicated. Yeah, and if you look at the Catholic Church, you know, if you look at the Catholic Church and the Italian city-state, you see that everywhere. You see the second sons, the third sons, the families, they go into the Catholic Church, not because they're particularly de devout Catholics, mm. but because in that time period, that was another legitimate way of getting power and getting wealth and securing it for your family. Yeah. And yeah, which is, um, and uh, something Yotam brought up, which I really, really like, um, which he was commenting on our discussion with the Beastman, he says the... He really finds this um, this conversation about Beastmen to be really fascinating in that he kind of sees that this almost looks like humanity's hubris over nature striking back and devastating mm -hmm. us when we kind of mess with it. Of It's that pure form of civilization versus the chaos of nature in Warhammer Fantasy Battle, which you know gets brought up in so many mythologies in our world, like real world mythologies of us trying to impose order on a non-ordered world. Uh, and then getting mad <laughs> when, it, when it doesn't do what we want and, it to. 
And the interesting thing is that the wood elves are exactly the same, right? So the Asdrai represent that force. So, you know, you've got the civilization of Bretonia and then you've got, you know, the wild forest. The same with the Aenor, but in the Lorelor, right? Mm. But we're more able, humans are more able to see them as protectors of a forest and protectors of their own domain because they look beautiful and noble Right. Cool stuff, right. Whereas if it's and a forest like, goblin on a giant spider, we're like, ah! We're like, <laughs> oh my god, how dare they? They're beasts. And so, yeah, so I've always felt that that that, that element of Wifrup has been less understood because people just pin that on the Wood Elves. They're like, well, yeah, you know, the, the hubris of man over nature, that's represented by the Wood Elves butting up against the humans of, of Bretonia and the Empire. And, and I think your commenter is more correct that actually... It's all of those sentient species that occupy um, the yeah. world across all the wilds that, yeah, that I mean, are, do represent that. Yeah, I mean, for, for someone that wants to start their campaign a little earlier in the timeline, there's like a perfect example of like when Carl Franz takes over, one of the first things he has to deal with is a bunch of pissed off uh, forest goblins. Because the Empire is encroaching on the uh, in the Reichwald on the Black Pit, which is this sacred site to the Forest Goblins. It's where all the a lot of the world. It is where the world's biggest Arachnoroks live, and all this stuff. And the Spider God is such a big deal, and they're encroaching on it. They're chopping down trees. They're burning away the webs and stuff. And the Forest Goblins are like, "Hey, we live here. <laughs> what are you doing?" <laughs> and they start fighting yeah. back. And the Empire's like, "Oh." Evil greenskins raiding and pillaging again, yeah. but debatably, like the empire kind of started that shit. Yeah, and even the wood elves, right? The wood elves are colonizers of that forest. You know, when before the wood elves were the wood <clears throat> elves, they were part of the elven empire that stretched <clears throat> stretched across the world, and they lived in beautiful cities. They lived in in civilizations, and after you know they were called back, and they didn't, they had to make that choice to go and take that wood and and retreat to that wood. And I think that's what. Like, maybe that's an aspect of elven history that I find really fascinating and like to explore. That actually, once they were this glowing, you know, they were the empire of, of the world. Oh, yeah. Um, and they fell. You know, and now they're, you know, if, I, if you look at the Azur, I would take, for the Azur, for me, I would take inspiration from Michael Moorcock's... Um, you know the real Melnibonians, the real like mm. they're 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 indolent, they're arrogant. They think they're so much better. You know, everyone thinks that the dark elves have slaves, but actually, if you know, they talk about humans living in in um, in Ulthuin. Are yeah, Lothern, like Lothern definitely Lothern? has like a borderline caste system going on. Yeah. One hundred percent. And well, and like, there's a lot, like, there's a lot kind of hidden under the surface of the Hiles being like outsiders are only welcome in Lothern and will be like, it is illegal for them to go anywhere else. Mm -hmm. It's like if you really break down that sentence and think about what the Hiles are saying, it's kind of it's a little sketchy. Yeah. 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 <clears throat> like even the dwarfs allow humans to visit the entirety of their realms, or like we'll invite them in and stuff. The elves, nope. Like Lothern is as far as you're allowed to go. They don't want your dirty <laughs> humanness yeah, your dirty human else. all over their stuff. Yeah. Um, um, which is which says a lot about them. Um, you know, they they're world police and they're non-ironic about it. They genuinely are like, we're gonna save the world. We already did it once, even though it was technically like a lot of different factors. But they're like, mm -hmm. ah, no, that's you know, we'll 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 take it from here. Y'all just stay out of our way. Um, yeah. even though the high elves aren't really those elves anymore, they, they like mm -hmm. to think they exactly. are, they emulate them, but they're not, they're, they're different. Um, yeah. 
which is which is, I, is such a good way to look at that. Yeah, um, and because and and you know we talked about that right at the start that going back to those elves that saved the world, they were drawing on the power of their whole pantheon. They were drawing upon the power of every elven deity, and now they're not. Mm. One half is sitting there, mostly the Kadai, mostly the other half, the Sithrai, and they're not going to be able to because they're a shattered people. Yeah, and what it's like, and it's like the Wood Elves are more for the the the, the Council of Beasts and the Ancients of the yeah. Forest. Like they're they're really like the, uh, you know, what you said earlier is like a, a lot of people don't realize that even even when looking at them as like the defenders of the forest, the Azrai are hypocrites in a sense of that. They're they're colonizers. They yeah they like, are Dreicha, Dreicha hates them, the forest spirit, mm-hmm. and a lot of people are like oh Dreicha's crazy. It's like well she's really not. Like even yeah. Durthu, who's considered the more reasonable, Durthu really doesn't like the elves anymore because in his mind they've brought so many problems to the forest. Mm-hmm. Of they um, granted, Odin, who the wise, who's unfortunately no longer with us because he died purifying Ariel of her or idiocy you know she ingested too much dark magic getting revenge when her sister died which is a very elf thing like the forest doesn't care who dies like as long as the forest continues on it's part of life people die it's it's the way things go ariel took it very personally and invaded nagaroth and all this stuff and brought all that corruption back with her she invited morgar into the forest she brought morgar back to athel lauren which like what are you doing (laughs) why are you bringing morgar in here and like Odin, who died for that, like Odin, who kind of died for no reason, um, yeah. of p- purging Ariel of that, and in, like that whole concept of the Wood Elves have invited so much destruction into the forest. When Odin, who initially brought them to balance the forest, because he's like, oh, they'll prevent us from overgrowing, they'll prevent us from, because Odin, who was scared of how the forest was being changed by chaos and that they were coming mm-hmm. too warlike, too aggressive, and that if it overexpanded, it would kill itself functionally. And so he brought the elves to balance it out and it hasn't like it worked, but didn't work at the same time, which is such an interesting way to explore it of like the elves have, the elves really do have a unique arrogance of being thinking we're the best at this or we're the protectors. And yeah, you can argue that they, that they were brought to tend and serve and garden the forest to be gardeners. But the Mm. thing about gardeners and tenders is that they're servants and, I would say their unique arrogance doesn't allow them to be servants unless they're on the path of the servant, which may be a path that you could. Yeah, oh, I'm, I'm, I'm sure. Yeah. And it's like, they, yeah. they have such a, like, it's like even like the relationship with Bretonia where you have like the Azrae manipulating the Bretonians yeah. and like, they should be more invested in taking care of the Bretonians because then they have a good shield, but instead they're, they're assholes about it. Like they mm-hmm. treat them badly and stuff and it blows up in their face. Like the lady of the lake gets mad at them constantly. <laughs> uh, and then they have this angry God they have to deal with who debatably yeah, yeah. is one of uh, who, you know, may or may not be one of their gods. And it's like, you know, you're goofing up when one of your own gods who's moonlighting as someone else is like, guys, <laughs> what are you doing? <laughs> what if, I love that. Stop it. <laughs> yeah, moonlighting for someone else. Um, uh, but it, it, I, I love so much that there's so many cool facets to explore Warhammer through of like it it really does allow for um explorations of all these different things and like one of the um just the stupid segue but like one of the things i've been enjoying so much about age of sigmar is that it kind of has removed even more tethers of like you can really explore anything in age of sigmar they have completely removed the ropes even the role play game they're like hey you want to have an undead in your order party cool here's some reasons that could potentially happen or like you want to have an orc in your party 
cool. <laughs> like, you know, we'll give you some bullshit so you can make it work. Like, in Wolf Rep, you, you theoretically could do that, but the world doesn't... The world um, would be it very... Will, yeah. It'll fight back. Yeah. It'll fight back. Yeah, for, time. yeah You know, it's like, I, we're, we're playing a Illustria campaign on stream here on Thursdays, which I'm having a ton of fun with, but, like, even playing a skink, playing a Lizardman in Wolf Rep is hard. Like, mm -hmm. if you're doing it right, or if you're really wanting it to be lore accurate, either you have to be playing Illustria campaign... Or you got to do some serious legwork um, because the world doesn't really fit around that mold. Um, I'd say even for playing an elf is really hard um, for Wolfrup. Like if you're in a lot of these human environments, like you're kind of looking at the elf stuff and it's like, man, this is this. It can be tough. It can be really hard yeah. for people, um, understandably, um, which is, you know, which is really why I hope they release more books from other races perspectives so we can have campaigns and with like different party comps in yeah different parts that would of the world. be brilliant wouldn't it yeah like, like to actually have a an elf party and, and because part of the challenge of playing an elf is that you do have baseline better stats and so you've got potential sometimes you've got people in the party who are like my specialism is x and you're like yeah but baseline i'm already for starter mm. characters not for more specialized ones i would say because people do specialize down lines but but when you're first start you know your biggest drawback is you don't have very many fake points so your elf is probably gonna die yeah but, but it can be a little bit like oh more elf bullshit yeah um, but but you if you could if you would like set a campaign and and, and and have a party of elves. That could be really, really interesting to explore that. And actually, but you could still play humans with that. What might be really, we were talking yesterday, yesterday, is it Sunday? Yeah, yesterday on Inside the Rookery about different ways to balance power disparities and having like mm. the Scooby gang approach to role playing. You could have people who played humans and played their ancestors. So you could have an elf who played over a long period of a campaign but you could also have humans, but oh. they were humans who were like coming in, and that would be that would be cool. really fun, actually. Yeah, uh, that, <laughs> that would be a really interesting way to get to play like a bunch of different characters while also kind of playing the same character. Yeah, and uh, and, and kind of playing the same story, so you as right. a player got the continuity of what could be quite an epic story. Like, imagine if you'd play, you set it in the world that was, and you set it just before the time of Magnus, and maybe you're playing an elf who, I know that only like the three elves came over, but they brought other elves with them, right, to train the wizards. Mm. So you could play someone who'd come along with them as an elf to train those wizards, and then you could have a human that you played who right then wasn't in the college because they'd all been summoned and they were being taught magic and then you could play like a sequence of magisters wizards oh that would be so up to cool. current day but you could have someone who continued playing that elf who could see how the colleges developed and how the people God, developed I, it would be quite fun it would do especially if you have someone good playing an elf i cannot imagine how annoying it would be to be a human hanging out with an elf who knew like your <laughs> many times ancestor and is like yeah, yeah your dad was better at that or something, something yeah, like yeah. that and you're just like shut up dude like yeah, yeah. <laughs> um or like and, or patronizing uh, the patronizing yeah, oh yeah they'd be like, so oh you have come on so far since your ancestors <laughs> first dabbled in the winds of magic like, yeah like, like shut up like even even if they're trying to be nice it would be yeah, the most yeah. like just dude stop talking i don't <laughs> yeah i love yeah. that and th th that would allow for so many interesting explorations too of like um like one of my favorite uh books about a dwarf um is the i, I forget what the name of the book is but it's about berendon stoneheart the king of zuffbar and it has this really poignant scene where he he meets a human who like really surprises him because the human commits uh patricide to get rid of his kills his dad who was planning on hurting the dwarves 
Um, and he was like, nope, I killed my dad. So y'all like y'all like, here's your gold. We don't have to fight all the stuff. The doors are like, rah, rah, like <laughs> they have such a, they, they have a short circuit because he did patricide for a good reason, which to them is just not possible. Um, but he did. And it, there's this sad scene where like it skips ahead and Berendon's talking to who he thinks is the same guy. And like, they're having a conversation. He's like, he's like, Oh yeah. Like how, you know, how are things like, uh, how's life going? How's your family stuff? And the guy's like, Oh, um, you're talking about my grandfather. He died like 30 years ago. Like I'm his grandson. I'm so-and-so and Berendon's like, Oh yeah, that's right. And like Berendon has this weird moment where he's like, he's really sad because he's like, he really yeah, liked that yeah. guy and he knew him yeah. his entire life. But from a dwarf perspective, it's kind of an eye blink from an elf perspective. <laughs> like, Holy crap. Like, you know, like I think it's a uh, Carillion calls them mayflies in the, in Vermintide, which is so accurate. They live for a day, like from an elf perspective. Yeah. It, and from an elf perspective, when emotions are so important and your passions rise so high and your soul bla like flares so brightly, it's really dangerous to make connections with humans mm. because you're constantly losing them and experiencing pain. It's almost like elves another reason that elves hold themselves apart with that it's that arrogance is a shield because it's painful mm. you know it's it and in a way like we joke about it and it's not like this because of course humans are sentient but my character alamena wife doesn't have heels she's got animal care and i was always saying jokingly <laughs> to the guys so i don't have can i just use animal care on them and i just oh. like stop it that um, that oh my god yes <laughs> <laughs> but so but with a serious point that the 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 reason I had first thought of that as a joke was because you know that Tumblr post about um how humans are elves to dogs. Yes, I love that. Right? Even though it and, it it pulls at heartstrings, I wish it didn't. But yes, I love that so yeah, much. Well, exactly, and it pulls at heartstrings because we all recognise that. You know, we've got a cat Shadow, and I love him so much. He's a part of my family, and that's what it would be like for elves to have humans around. Hmm. You'd constantly have your heartstrings pulled, and when you're an elf and you're an eternal teenager, that would really hurt every time. Yeah. Well, uh, you know. Yeah. Yeah. You don't get used to it. Like you don't get that. You don't, and you don't get used. To yeah. It. You, and, you don't the get way... the adjustment of like, oh, I'm older, so I can control these emotions. Yeah. No, they're always. Except and, it, and it'd be even worse because it's not even like you get them for 20 years. It'd be like uh, like rats. Like I know some people have had rats and they're like, I love having them. I can't do it anymore because they only live for yeah. two years. And it's like, yeah. ugh. Yeah, I couldn't. I've said that about some people I know that have had rats and, and smaller animals. And I'm like, I just know that my that my heart couldn't take that. I would get so attached. And, and some elves wouldn't get attached, no. Yeah, yeah. But, but some elves... To get yeah, the, the, the and, Tyrion versus Teclas dilemma. Yeah. Well, exactly. Yeah. The Tyrion's like, eh, humans, who cares? And Teclas is like, uh, no. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> we, yeah. We like them. We like them. But yeah, if you got attached to them repeatedly, you'd be constantly putting yourself through pain that you know is going to come. Yeah, which I, I think uh, for a lot of people, like that always that always comes up in the like immortal dilemma. You know, would you be immortal if you could? You know, you have the people that say no, because like I wouldn't want to go through the hurt of my loved ones dying constantly. And it's like yes. well, you wouldn't necessarily do that if you were immortal. Or granted, like it, it, it's all I've always found that an interesting argument because it's like, well humans in a way like some humans get used to that or some humans are just able to handle it better. Like I don't know why like I don't I don't think it's a bad trait necessarily, but like when when I've lost family members 
uh, like my grandparents and stuff like that. Like it, it was sad, but it wasn't like soul crushing. It was kind of yeah. like, yeah, like I, it, it sucks, but like I'm able to accept it and kind of keep going. Like, I don't know if that's going to get worse, you know, if when it's like my parents or my friends and stuff like that, it probably will. Um, mm-hmm. And, but it's like, but like for an elves, like they, they kind of have the absolute worst case scenario of that, of, yeah, they are the immortal who does feel it. So like, yeah. how do they handle that? Yeah. Um, and if elves love, they love. And if they grieve, they grieve. Mm. Uh, and they can, uh, and, and they can get lost in that. Yeah, I which is it, so perfect of, like, it, in the lore, we see a lot of elves, like, most elves don't take marriage partners. And if they do, they take one, period. Yeah. Um, now, they tend to have a lot of lovers, but it's not it's not considered the same thing at all by yeah. a country Yeah, mile. exactly. Does the Everqueen love the Phoenix King? That's a political union. Clearly, sometimes they might, sometimes they might not. But, you know, you'll she'll have other lovers, he'll have other lovers, but they've got this cultural traditional union to create that yeah, Tyrion, Tyrion gets a lot of flack because he doesn't sleep around he's purely dedicated to Ilariel and all the elves are like that's weird that's like, what, is, weird. what is he doing yeah, like, <laughs> what's wrong with you yeah, yeah. yeah why is he so dedicated what is going on with him like he's on the path of <laughs> he's on the yeah, path yeah. of Ilariel like he is yeah very yeah, really <laughs> strange for them and we've used that to inform so once you once you accept that and once you say right human you, so and again like I've, we've thought about that in a like evolutionary perspective. Why would that be? Why do elves have fewer um, like sexual dimorphic um, features than humans do? Mm. Why why do why do elves care less about X, Y, and Z? And you you can often answer those questions with elf bullshit or magic. Um, right. <laughs> but but you can also come up with like interesting reasons. Well, maybe elves choose to get when they get pregnant. Maybe they have because you know elves have got more control over their body and the flows of magic. They can choose, and so therefore, amongst humans, you know the the course of your bloodline and and whether you've reproduced and the DNA push and the evolutionary um, hormones and therefore emotions that creates are then cut out of the agenda. You know they're just cut. Mm. So so of course. Tyrion could sleep around because it doesn't have the same weight as it would in in a human society and the fact that he doesn't is actually what makes him really unusual like his monogamy is a feature that is weird about him yeah that uh and that you know there's got to be something it's it's one of those things i always wish games like i love that they talked about dwarves and they were like yeah dwarves like they tend to take this long to have kids. There's one in seven halflings. We know a lot about halfling reproduction. Elves, they're just like, nope, we're not like, because I always love the eternal question of how how are the elves a dying race and yet the dark elves are unleashing like these titanic hordes on Ulthuan where like well, thousands and thousands of them die on both sides and yet they're both still going. <laughs> well, I think yeah, uh, that is a really good question. And and how massive is Athaloran and how many elves are there? So so I would say I I always imagined. Um, I always imagined that there were hardly any elves, but there can't be hardly any elves. Yeah, they, they field armies, like, so like, what's going there must on? Be millions, and 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 in the you know talking when we talked right at the start about the high elves maybe having a more they've become a bit indolent and a bit mm, a bit less. I don't know, yeah, vibrant it, it and almost, energetic than the dark like the elves. The high elves are. don't want to. Um, yeah. Versus, like, not like they're actively making the decision. It's like the whatever's supposed to drive them just isn't there. Which, yeah. hey, 
they don't worship authority. Like they don't have that, that that could play into it a little bit. Like dark elves are very passionate. They're like the most passionate of the passionate. They are all in on that. And they seem to have, like, they talk about having tons of kids a lot. Like, uh, you know, whenever we see dark elves pop up in black library books, they have tons of siblings. Like there's like dynamics and all this stuff. Whereas high elves, you have one, you have one kid per family traditionally. Um, It feels like it feels like the Druhi are a younger race than the Azur. Mm. So the Azur stayed behind and and were changed and and their society fundamentally changed. But they still they still believe they're that same old race. They still hark. It's like it's like British people who think that like Britain is still like rule Britannia (laughs) and all that bullshit. Right. Whereas actually, yeah, that, I, well, that's like the, the Hyles, the Hyles always give me that strong vibe of like, oh, we're Rome during when Rome was amazing. When in reality, they're Rome many thousands of years yeah. later. <laughs> because if you look at if you look at it, there are elven ruins everywhere across the world. Mm. There are cities like Nuln that are built on massive old elven cities, and once the heart of their empire was Ulthuin. Right, which means that once their empire spanned the whole globe, there would have been millions and millions and millions of elves. Oh yeah, well, tens I- of billions. And and the high elves think they're still that, and it's like you're just not. You yeah. are absolutely not yeah, in any way that s- anymore. Cities that are mostly empty and like they're yeah. they're like they're they're struggling. Like they're trying to maintain that global presence, like with all the different towers on the oceans and stuff. But like really, they're only a naval power now because as a naval yeah. power, they don't need as many people and they could be more mobile. Um, whereas it's like, Athel, like Athel Lauren gets to cheat. Cause at least like in Athel Lauren, we know that like the forest keeps them at a specific number through weird forest magic. Or it's like, Oh, an elf died. Well, guess what? You're pregnant now. There's a new elf. Uh, yeah. yeah, yeah. <laughs> so like continuing the cycle. Um, but they're in a contract, like they're literally bound in a magical contract. There's no way out. You know, it's yeah. like, it, it's almost kind of, uh, it, it, it depend like I would not be surprised if there was an Azrae that almost feels despairing about it. Of uh, I, I I think I recall there being a maybe back in the sixth edition Wood Elf book. There's a Wood Elf or a, a Athalorn Wood Elf mother talking to her child, and she's explaining like the laws of the forest. Of like this is what you learn. This is why we're isolationist. This is why we don't interact with the other races. And it's a very matter of fact. This is our bargain. Like this is this mm-hmm. is our role. And there is no escape from that, which yeah. is like kind of scary in a lot of ways. It's the price they paid for survival. Yeah. They paid a price to survive and they chose, maybe they didn't realize what the full impact would be over the long term, but they, but that's it. It's done now. Whereas I think the Dark Elves, like I think, you know, Malachi still has that absolute drive to conquer, to take back what was his, to rule. Mm. And, and so, you know, when the Elves were young, when they were a younger race, they they must have been massively populous to have spread over the world to have massive huge cities that are now you know the foundations of most of the major cities across the world yeah, which Talea, means once, Estalia, Britonia, the yeah, empire like yeah, they're all over absolutely. the place which means once they were a very you know populous and vibrant people who had many many children just like the dark elves do now the difference with the dark elves now is probably their death rate is higher than yeah, it would have been at yeah, the height Ma- of elven glory Malekith really embraces that survival of the fittest by yeah. the way, we're going to have auditions every day. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Survive every day. Yeah. So, but, it, but they prove that the elves are not a, a non-fecund and fertile people. It's just something's happened to the high elves. 
Yeah, which I I love that so much because it it does fill in that gap really well of that like, and it, it also kind of adds like an extra almost spiritual level to the dying race thing, of mm-hmm. like there there really is something more going on more deeply that like it it's affecting them on such a fundamental level. Like, is it that chaos has warped them in some little way, or is it that maybe only worshiping the Kadai has had this impact on them, yeah. uh, which I would suspect is probably very heavily at play. Um, cause man, the Kadai come off very purist. <laughs> yeah. And because the flip side of the, the dark elves mostly working, worshiping the other, the, I can never pronounce it. Uh, the Sithrae. Sith- yeah. Sith- is the reverse. They've got the vitality and they've got the energy and they've got the, that the high elves don't have, but they're dying so quickly because they're constantly thrusting themselves into the darkness of war and all the destruction of the, the other side. Yeah. Of the burn themselves out. Yeah. They've got creation, but they've got destruction. Whereas they've got sort of just this ennui. Yeah. So they're burning themselves out and really, you know, they need to, the, and that's where the Aeon or Aeonir are like, well, there, there was another way. Before the Sundering, there was another way, and yeah. that was the way that yielded the glory of the of the elves, not the high elves, not the dark. The glory of the elves. So the Aenir for would view yeah, themselves but, as elves. We're yeah, the elves. The Aenir are so tiny, like they're not even mm-hmm. like it's not even like Athelorin. Like they're just a it's like a city <laughs> with some with some outskirts. Um, yeah, I think I think Andy's interpretation of that will be different. I suspect, mm. given how. How big the empire is? What? How? What is the actual volume of the Lord? You know, like yeah, well, uh, floor space of the Laura Lord. How yeah, many I, are there really? Yeah, I I would love to see them kind of like more of a force on their own. But I mean, even then, like compared to the others who are practically like countries or continents. Um, yeah. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. 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 They are. They are just a, yeah. a small part of a, a bigger. But area. but I love the idea that like they're they're struggling so hard to figure it out. Especially because, like, they're they're in a very vulnerable position compared to the other three. They don't have an ocean or mountains or a magical mm-hmm. like. Larlorn's got some magic to it, but it's not nearly as like sentient or crazy as Athalorn is. Yeah. Like, they are far more vulnerable to outside predations than the um, yeah. the others. Um, and what's their play? What's <clears throat> Queen Maris's play in the end in the end game? Yeah, I got. I I was so happy to see Larlorn return because there are so many interesting like. I, I feel like there's so much more of an interesting dynamic to be told, especially with like the rise of Kazrak the one eye of like, he's a big threat in that area. Granted, he has that huge hate boner, like him and Boris, like just kiss already. Like they, they have such a massive <laughs> hate boners for each other. Um, it's like, but Alarlorn would almost certainly play into that of like, what are they doing about that? There is this, the biggest, scariest beast Lord since um, Gothor rising up. And they're like, this guy's a problem. <laughs> like yeah, he's bringing yeah. he's bringing all these beastmen into the area, and they are ready to fight. Um, but oh my gosh, we've been going for almost two hours, um, <laughs> which is a super long time. Um, if if there's anything else uh, you had, uh, I don't want to keep you any hostage any longer. Um, but uh, this has been super fun. I've been having an absolute blast. Uh, with the conversation. Yeah, no, thank you so much for like. I love to geek. So, um, you were like, oh, it's, you know, it's your Sunday, and I'm like, no, like usually Andy and I would be talking about this on a Sunday anyway, <laughs> so I might as well do it with someone else on the internet. So yeah, it was an absolute pleasure, and thank you so much for inviting me. Um, yeah, I, I think the last thing I would say about the Aeonir and what the Aeonir are up to is that because there's such a political 
um, part of the elves, I would say the way we're going to interpret them is almost everything you read in the lore is someone else's perspective. Mm. And the fascinating thing about them is that unlike Athel Loran, who really don't care about the Empire and what happened in the Empire, and unlike the higher elves who like dip in and out every few, you know, hundred years, the Aeonir have been there since the time of Sigmar, and they saw what happened. And they've seen the empire grow. And so some of the things that for humans are like lost in the mists of time, they might actually hold the secrets that um, of the truth of, of you know, who yeah. was Sigmar? And, and what they, did he do? They played such a big role. I mean, like, yeah. I, I loved in the them their role they played in the, the Skaven invasion back during the Black Plague stuff, which humanity has completely forgotten about. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> which, like, I'm sure everybody yeah. else is like, how? It hasn't even been that long. How did you guys already forget? Yeah. Yeah. Um, but yeah, that is fantastic. Um, all right. So um, uh, yeah. So the the other thing I would say is if you've enjoyed this chat, like come and join um, inside the Rookery where we yes. stream like every Saturday night with um, like guests from all over the TTRPG, the video game industry, loads of authors. Um, had people like Gareth L. Powell on recently, Gareth Hanrahan, Andy Hall's been on it. So yeah, do check that out. Check out the patron, check out our Discord um, community, which is where we gather and ask all the pre-questions and just generally chat about um, all the geeky nerdy stuff we love. Yes, and it's a very vibrant and awesome community. Uh, I am in there lurking all the time, um, which all <laughs> those links will be somewhere um, uh, around here um, like us uh, pin comment and stuff uh, for those on YouTube or whatever and um, I'll also make sure if you haven't check out Lawhammer on YouTube as well um, and uh, the Wolf Rip series so you can see a lot of the stuff we've talked about kind of come to light there's a couple things uh, that were still secret so those will be revealed with time so <laughs> yeah. it should be super fun and exciting and uh, that's pretty much it so uh, thank you all so much for watching and uh, Lindsay thank you so much for coming by really really appreciated having you on this was a ton of fun thank you so much I've had a great time thanks everyone for watching yeah thank y'all for watching uh, see y'all next time and I'm not gonna bother with a raid because I'd have to figure that I'd have to do stuff whatever I'll be back later I'll see you guys later bye bye <laughs>